Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive this morning is from the prophet Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 11 to 17 and also verses 20 to 24. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their, food, their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was, was lost and bring back that which was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen that what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a, a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So far, so far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. You may remember how when the people of Israel first entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, God made them a promise. He told them, you don't need a king because I myself will be your king. And for 400 years, God ruled as their king through his priests and through the judges that he chose and appointed over them. He himself ruled over them in justice. But after 400 years, the people of Israel decided that they wanted to be just like all the other nations around them and insisted that God give them an earthly king. God warned them that this would not go well for them. The king will take your young women for himself. He will take your young men and send them off into battles in foreign lands. And he will take your taxes. And worse than that, God warned them, Many of your kings will lead you astray. They will not lead you to, to follow the Lord your God. 400 years later, God's words were proven correct. There were some good kings, of course, like David, but most of them not only taxed the people, but also did not lead them in the way of the Lord. They, they encouraged idol worship, and the people followed them in the worship of false gods. And so God sent punishment upon the people. He sent the Babylonians and they scattered his people among the nations. That's the background for Ezekiel 34. In the first 10 verses of this chapter, before we get to our text, God is condemning those false shepherds, those leaders and rulers of, of Israel who did not lead his people. 
verse 2 in particular, God says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? It was the idolatry of the people that caused them to be taken captive by the Babylonians, but God makes it clear that he blames the kings, the rulers, the shepherds, who were supposed to be leading them to follow God, but instead led them astray. And then we get to verse 11, the first verse of our text, where God says, okay, what am I going to do about it? And God says, what I'm going to do about it is I myself am going to choose a true shepherd. Particularly, uh, the last two verses of our text, if you want to look at them, verses 22 and 23, Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Because the rulers of God's people so utterly failed them, therefore God says, I will choose one, I will choose and anoint one for myself. And of course, that's what the name Christ means, the chosen one. And so the people of Israel waited for God's chosen king, and we wait as well for the coming of Christ the king. We've been talking about the last day, the last couple of Sundays. We began with the parable of the ten virgins, which reminded us to always be ready, always waiting, because we don't know when the king is coming. And then last Sunday we had the parable of the talents, which taught us how to wait. It reminded us of the treasures that God has poured upon us and how we ought to use those treasures as we wait for God. But now this Sunday... We want to answer the question, what it is we are waiting for. Our text makes it clear, all of our text makes it clear, we are waiting for the coming of the king, the one chosen by Christ, by God. Our situation isn't that much better than the Israelites, is it? Our forefathers didn't trust kings, and so they said, well, we'll elect officials and legislatures and judges and presidents and then if they don't do what we want after their term is over we can choose somebody else and that's worked out a little bit better than the kings of Israel and Judah but it still leaves a lot to be desired. Our leaders are not all that much better at leading us in doing what is right and good than Israel's kings were and so we also wait. We wait for God's chosen king who will come. And when he comes, our text makes it clear, he will bring judgment and righteousness and a new home for his people. We look again at our text, uh, verses 20 to 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Our sermon text, as well as our gospel reading, make it clear that when Christ comes again, when the king comes, he will come in judgment. He will bring judgment on the people. He will divide the sheep and the goats. He will judge between, as our text says, the sheep and the sheep. Upon whom does Jesus bring judgment? Whom, who are those that he judges? 
While our text talks about those who rule but do not care about the ones they rule over, we read in verse 2, should not a shepherd feed his flock? And instead the, the rulers of Israel were feeding themselves rather than taking care of the flock. And so God is going to come and, and judge such rulers. We also uh, hear about here in verse 21, those who take for himself. God is going to judge between the fat and the lean. But he doesn't judge the fat sheep just because they're, they're fat. No, but he shows that the reason he's judging them is because why they are fat. Because they're pushing and shoving the weaker ones so that they can take for themselves. They're budding uh, the weaker away rather than helping and sharing with them and taking for themselves. And we see the, the same thing in our gospel reading as well. When Jesus divides the sheep and the goats, he says to the goats, you did not give the hungry food. You did not give the thirsty water. You did not visit those who were in prison. That last part especially I think is important. You didn't visit those who were in prison. Those who are in prison supposedly are there for a reason, right? They messed up. They did something wrong. Occasionally innocent people go to prison, but for the most part those who are in prison are, are there for a good reason. And so visiting those who are in prison is an act of a humble and penitent heart. It's an attitude of, well, okay, I know you messed up, but I'm a sinner also, and, and I can show mercy and forgiveness on those who messed up because Jesus showed mercy and forgiveness on me. And so visiting those in, in prison is particularly an act of repentance rather than an attitude of, well, you messed up, it's your own fault you're there, so I, I don't need to help you. It's that, that mercy that Christ showed us. That attitude of forgiveness. And all these things that, that Jesus talks about, he brings judgment on those who do not show love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness to their fellow man, who don't give the hungry food or visit those in prison, who butt and shove others aside. Jesus reminds us, by this all men will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. And so both in our text and many other passages as well, Jesus makes it clear that that attitude of love and forgiveness and helping and mercy and compassion, those are the marks of a disciple. Those outward symbols or signs of faith and repentance that is in the heart. The Bible makes it very clear that we are saved by faith. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. By faith you are saved. But the Bible also makes it very clear that faith is not alone. And so our Lutheran forefathers penned that beautiful phrase, faith alone saves but faith is never alone. Where there is repentance in the heart, where there is an appreciation and a joy in Christ's forgiveness, then there will also be mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness for others. These outward works of love are not what save us, but they are the sign that shows the faith in the heart. We're coming up almost, got another week until Advent starts and looking forward to Christmas. And of course, as Christmas comes near, people like to talk about Santa Claus. 
The real St. Nicholas was one who showed such love and faith. He displayed the faith in his heart and the joy that he had for Christ from the way that he acted towards others. He did uh, give. Give presents to children and to others. He did a lot of charity and showed compassion. And at the same time, he was a, a staunch defender of God's word and the true faith. We, we just recited the Nicene Creed. And uh, St. Nicholas was one who helped to write that. Fiercely arguing for the truth of the deity of Christ. And so St. Nicholas showed in his life that humble and repentant faith which which manifests itself in love and kindness for others. And this is what Jesus points to in our text and in our gospel reading as well. He's not judging on the basis of works, those who believe are saved, but he points to those works as proof to the world. Yes, these are my disciples. These are those who have faith in their heart. What makes a, a plant poison ivy. Well, it's, a, it's the DNA on the inside that makes it poison ivy, right? But if you're walking through the woods and keeping your eye out for poison ivy, you're hardly going to stop and check the DNA of every plant to see if it's poison ivy. You're going to watch out for those three leaves. Of course, not every plant with three leaves is poison ivy. And so the discerning person will know the difference between the three leaves that indicate poison ivy and the three leaves that indicate something else. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in our text and our gospel reading as well. He knows the difference between those works that come from a heart of faith and repentance and those that don't. This is what <clears throat> Jesus is talking about. Faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. Jesus comes with judgment on those who lack faith. But to those who have faith in him, he brings forgiveness. When he comes, he comes also with righteousness, our text tells us. We look again at verses 11 and 12 of our text. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. There are many who wait for the Lord's coming because they believe that when he comes, he's going to build a palace in Jerusalem and a temple and make his throne there in the temple in Jerusalem and sit there. And More importantly, they think they also will be brought there to Jerusalem and they will reign with him in an earthly kingdom reigning over the unbelievers in the world. And they look forward to his coming for that earthly glory. That's what a lot of the Jews at the time of Jesus were, were looking for as well. That earthly, that establishment of that earthly kingdom, that earthly glory. But that's not what Christ promises and that's not what we're waiting for or why we wait for Jesus. We wait with longing for Jesus' coming because he promises to bring the righteousness of God. He promises to rule as our king in our hearts. Now even now, of course, we have the righteousness which is a gift from God, Christ's righteousness which is given to us through faith and by which we are saved. And right now, Christ does rule in our hearts through his word and his sacraments. But we well know that that reign of Christ in our hearts is imperfect because it's opposed 
by our own sinful flesh and by the temptations of this world. And so we know how Paul talks about that struggle that we encounter daily in our life, that fight between the new man and the old man, between what he wants to do and he wants to show that righteousness of God in his life and all the times that he fails. We look at that description God gives, that Jesus gives of the believers in our gospel reading, and we say, well, that doesn't look very much like me. And in fact, that's what the believers say to Jesus. They say, well, that's not a very good description of us. When did we, when did we do that, Jesus? And so we, too, we, we look at that description of that righteous man that Jesus gives, and we think, well, that doesn't look very much like me. And we desire to be that person. We desire to have that righteousness, to live in that righteousness of God. Not only the righteousness which God gives to us, but a righteousness by which we also do God's will in our daily lives. When we are like the angels, doing God's will perfectly living together with one another in righteousness, in perfect love and forgiveness. That's something that we desire and something that we wait for. St. Nicholas became such a great legend and really turned into much of a myth, right? Uh, Because most Christians don't act that way, right? If, if all Christians showed the love of Christ that, that Jesus talks about in our gospel reading and in our text as well, then St. Nicholas would have been forgotten as just one more Christian, one more Christian showing love. But uh, because we so often fail to live up to that description God gives, he, he kind of stands out. We know how much we have failed and how much we struggle in our daily life and we wait. We wait for that righteousness which God will will bring to us to create in us a pure heart which delights only in his will and to be done with this struggle against our sinful flesh. We don't need Jesus to reign in Jerusalem. We don't need that glory of an earthly kingdom and lording it over the unbelievers. What we desire and need is that perfect righteousness and that day when our struggle will be over. When Jesus comes again, he promises that he will also bring us a home. And we look at verses 13 and 14 of our text. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Home. My daughter Keely likes to say, I want to go home. She says that actually quite a bit whenever we're away from home. Whenever she, we put her in the car, if we're, in, we're at home and we put her in the car, then she'll often say, I want to stay home. But then if we're away, I want to go home. The older she gets, the more she just likes to be at home. And that's, I think, normal for special needs kids. Uh, they struggle in environments that they're unfamiliar with they like to be where the place they know and where they have their routines and in her bed and with her books. The one exception is Grandma Grandpa's house. Sometimes we put her in the car, she'll ask Grandma Grandpa's house, and that's actually where she is right now. Uh, that's the one exception that she wants to go to. 
It's not just Kaylee, of course, who, who likes to go home. Even those of us who like to travel often appreciate finally coming back home to our own bed and our own food. And Jesus promises that when he comes again, he will bring us home. The home that is safer and more secure and better than the homes that we have on this life, in this life. I will be their shepherd, the Lord says. I will find them and gather them. My servant David shall feed them and watch over them. They shall lie down in green meadows. When our king comes, he will bring us home. And it's not going to be anything like anything we've ever experienced before, but at the same time, as soon as we get there, we will all know and say, I'm finally home. I'm finally where I belong. I'm finally in a place where my family and my friends don't, don't disappoint me and where I don't disappoint others. Holidays can often be disappointing, can't they? We, have thank, we just had Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up and Christmas and Thanksgiving have so much potential, so much promise, and yet they often fall short of what they should be because of our, our sinfulness, because of our, our failure. We wait for that home which will not disappoint us, which will not be disappointing. There our feast will be everything that we could wish a feast to be. There our father will be everything we wish a father could be. There our king will be everything we could wish a king, a ruler, a shepherd to be. He won't disappoint us like our earthly leaders. We will get there and we will immediately think, now I'm home. This is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for our king. We're waiting for that king who will bring judgment, but even more so will bring righteousness and will take us home to be with him. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.